Hey, good morning, DCF family. The music got quiet, and y'all were all quiet. So um, uh, welcome to 2024. Um, I love something about 2023. It is in the past, and we are going present and into the future. So um, one of the things that I love about something that's happened in the past, if it was something that really wasn't that great of a year or a season, it's like move on and let it go. So um, this morning, we are ready for 2024 because the Lord is in 2024. He is in our future, and the Word declares that He has good plans for us to give us hope and a future. And so His thoughts for you and I are good this morning. His plans for us are good. And in the middle of wars and fires and droughts and famines, the Lord is the one who is faithful to us because he cannot separate himself and his goodness from us because we are his beloved. So this morning, with that in mind and the goodness of the Lord for us, will you stand and let's worship together and usher in this 2024 with the presence of the Lord ever before us, his goodness ever before us, his purposes, his promises ever before you and I and what he has in store for us. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We welcome you to move among us. We welcome you to imprint our hearts, to imprint our spirits with your goodness and your kindness this morning, with your great compassion, Lord, with your vision for our future and who you are for us, God. Lord, that in the midst of chaos, in the midst of turmoil, Lord, in the midst of what's happening in this world, God, that you are the God who sees, you are the God who hears, you are the God who is near. So Lord, we worship you as we've celebrated Emmanuel, God with us this morning. We lean in to this beautiful Jesus who is with us always, who can never forsake us, who will never leave us. God, he has joined himself to us. And Lord, our response is that we say yes and amen. Lord, we worship you and we honor you, King Jesus. Amen. Let's worship together, y'all.
I have a picture this morning of, um, of like foundation of like where a building is, has been built and the foundation has been sitting for a while and there's cracks in the foundation. And um, what I saw is that there was the drilling because you have to correct the cracks and you have to drill to secure the foundation up again. And what I heard is that the Lord this morning is wanting to solidify the foundation of his love for you. Because if you're not settled in the love of God and his perfect love, which he cannot be anything but perfect love, he cannot give anything but perfect love because that's who he is. That is his nature and his character. And if there has been something else that has crept in by the enemy and has begun to erode the foundation of the love of God over your life, it will create the opportunity for not being able to build well and to build your life well because there's this undermining erosion that somewhere in your history and in your disappointment that the love of God has not been perfected and it's not, He's not good. So this morning there is this beautiful picture of the Lord coming and securing up that foundation of His great love for you this morning. And there's an opportunity for you to welcome that pouring in and that drilling in deep of the Holy Spirit into that foundation to sure it up because of what He's wanting to build into your life and into your future. So this morning, welcome this building. Sing this. I don't even know how to do it because there's an agreement in your spirit that you're going to build your life on the foundation of love. 40 years in almost of the love of God in my life, it has not been without its trials. It has not been without its up and downs. It has not been without its disappointments. But I will tell you this, the foundation of my life has been built on the love of God when I encountered Him at 12 years old because the love of God became a concreted, solid place in my life in the midst of everything. Because the Bible says that the rains and the winds and the storms of this life are going to come to you and I. There are going to be trials in this life. But the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, which has been proven and poured out for you and I, is the foundation from which we build. So this morning, let that power and that solidifying of the Holy Spirit resonate in you as you sing this song that I will build my life on this foundation because this foundation is immovable. It is immovable. I want to say it again. The foundation of the love of God is immovable. It's unchanging. It is immeasurable. It is limitless. That is the love of God for you and I as we move and build and go into our future together. Amen. Let's worship again.
You are perfect. 
Praise God. Lord, we thank you that this morning we can celebrate because our King is alive. Lord, we recognize this morning that Jesus died. He was buried, but then he resurrected again by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you that this morning we live in an ever-increasing kingdom under the King who is alive. And you have declared him King of kings and Lord of lords. And his name is exalted above every other name. This is the king that we worship this morning. The one who is enthroned in majesty and glory and honor and power and might and strength. Lord, we worship you this morning. We worship the king of glory. We worship the king of glory this morning. Jesus, enthroned in beauty and glory. Lord, we worship you. We worship you, King Jesus. You are alive and you are for us. Lord, we gather around the angels and the saints and the elders with them, Lord, and worship our King of glory. We worship the Lamb who was slain but was risen again. Who we worship the Lamb who is the Lion. You laid your life down as the Lamb, but you are the Lion, the King of Judah, the King of Kings, the Lion of Judah. Lord, we worship you this morning. Oh, Jesus, you are for us. You are for your sons and daughters. You are for your people. Lord, we worship you, King of glory, reigning in majesty, enthroned on high. Worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lamb. Worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lamb. We worship you. We worship you, Jesus, King of glory, King of eternity, King of eternity, everlasting Father. We worship you. We worship you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. Just lift up your own words and your own song this morning. Let's start this year off in a kingdom mindset and a kingdom heart. Lord, we worship you, King of glory. We worship you, majesty. Lord, you are my beloved and I am yours. You are the King of glory. Lord, we worship you. You are enthroned in our praises. Lord, praise is a highway to the kingdom and the glory. Lord, we worship you. We enter this place, Lord, with thanksgiving and grateful hearts, Lord. We worship you, Jesus, King of glory, enthroned, enthroned upon praise from generation to generation to generation. You are enthroned upon the praises of generations, Lord, this morning. We worship you. We worship you, Jesus. We worship you, Lord, enthroned, enthroned upon praises, Lord. God, to a thousand generations, thousands of generations of praise and glory and honor, majesty and worthy, Lord, you are. We worship you, Jesus. Lord, we worship you. Lord, finger, let us be marked by your fingerprint this morning. Let us be marked by the fingerprint of the Holy Spirit. Lord, this morning for who you are for us who you are for us this morning, Lord Jesus. We worship you, King of glory. We worship you, King of glory. The beautiful one, the most beautiful, the holy one. Lord, we worship you, the King of all the nations, 
the king of all the nations, the king of heaven and earth. Lord, we worship you. We worship you, Jesus. We worship you. Lord, we worship you, the living, the risen king. Lord, we worship you this morning. We set our hearts on you this morning. God, we pray for encounters this year, Lord God, that would cause our hearts to burn within us. Lord, for you, for more of you this morning, Lord, that there would be moments in the secret place, Lord God, that mark us by your presence and by your glory, Lord. God, that there would be something born out of the secret place and brought into the public arena, Lord, of your presence and who you are for us. Lord, who you are in this city, Lord, who you are in this region, who you are in this city to be strong and mighty to deliver and say that the arm of the Lord is not short, but it is mighty in this generation, Lord. It is mighty in this season. Lord, we worship you. We worship you, Jesus. Jesus, we see you rightfully this morning, the King enthroned in glory enthroned in glory and majesty. You are worthy, 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 Lord. You are the worthy, worthy, worthy one. Lord, you are the worthy, worthy one. Jesus, we worship you. We worship you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that we get to be a part of the beautiful story of the living God this morning that you captured our hearts Lord to live in a story bigger and greater than that of ourselves Lord thank you Jesus we worship you Lord we worship you Jesus thank you Lord love Jesus this morning? I don't know about you, but I love Jesus. Changed my life for the good. And um, so I'm so thankful this morning. Um, I want to have a beautiful, beautiful welcome this morning for a new addition to our family. It is Warwick Drexel McManus. So he is a welcome joy in this house. He's the new baby added to us. Um, I'm going to ask Kristen to come up. We're going to do something just a little bit different this morning. Um, For those of you um, who are not familiar or not following us on social media, we want to just give you some of the, uh, a little bit of information and some things of how you can help us with actually getting that information and how it's into our community and into um, who we are as a local church. So I've just got a couple of questions for Kristen. She's the one who's heading up our social media, and she kind of started a little bit in the fall. And um, so you guys, she's going to give us some pointers of how it benefits us in um, getting the word out about who we are, what's our DNA, what does our church look like, what does our local family together look like as we're doing this thing together um, called the local church, extended family, loving one another deeply from the heart. So... um, and Chris and I, we're going to have to just share the microphone, so I'm just going to hold it as we go back and forth. So, um, so one of the questions that we have on here is, what made you want to do social media management? And just kind of getting our name out there, Kristen. 
So when my family and I came to DCF about two and a half years ago, um, like many of you, we came from a church that we had been hurt. Um, Not hurt from God, but hurt from a local church body. Um, But we knew that there was better out there. And when we came here, we found that. Um, And as far as social media, we knew that there was more people in our community that was like us and that needed a home and a community that we have here. And doing social media is because in today's society, most people are on Facebook, Instagram, eventually TikTok, you know. Um, But, and that was just the easiest way to be able to show the wire grass what DCF was about. And um, what difference have you seen statistically since launching on social media? Like, where's been the difference that you've seen and how it's impacted getting just what we've already been doing um, out into the community? So, as you can see up here, um, from January through August, um, we have had reached a total of 1,511 people in that eight-month span. Um, We launched our social media here on September 6th. Um, The first month, we reached 1,540 people. So more people in one month by showing people the true DNA of DCF than um, the eight months prior. Um, From September through December, um, we reached a total of 5,316 people through our social media that either didn't know about God, didn't know about DCF, um, didn't know about grace, um, but over 5,000 people have been touched by stuff that's going on here at DCF. And then what we want to know, Kristen, from you is how can everyone, so this means you, um, this means me, it means us collectively together, um, how can everyone help reach more people through our social media? Okay, so for those that aren't familiar, the way the algorithms work with any kind of social media platform is the more people that like, comment, share, um, interact with our post, the more their algorithm puts it out for more people to see. So more people to be impacted within our community by what you guys can help do. Um, We typically post between three and four posts a week, either recaps of one of Dave's messages or reels from his messages, um, upcoming events that we have. Um, And what we need y'all to do is to be able to like, comment, share, interact as much as you can so that the algorithm will push it out there. Um, Another way is if you are familiar with graphic design, how the back end of social media works, anything like that, and you're interested in serving this body in that way, talk to me. We'll see what that looks like going forward in 2024 of how we can get you on board that can help use the gifts that God's given you to help push our DCF vision and DNA out into the wiregrass. Thanks, Kristen. Thanks, you guys. She put a lot of time into that. So what you can do right now is you can pull your phone out and you can go to Facebook and you can go to Instagram and you can like us. You can follow us. Turn on notifications. You may want to have them silenced for right now because we're in service. But um, the more you do that and um, like or comment or share, 
the more that that information gets put out into this arena. And so um, we appreciate you guys doing that. The thing of it is, is you can't just do it today and then not do it for three months. That's the algorithm. You have to do it on a regular, ongoing basis for it to stay um, consistent and to stay current, okay? So thanks very much for that. I will give you guys a little bit of a tidbit. One of the things that makes us unique at DCF is the, um, I think, the, the, the uniqueness of the calling of understanding the team of a husband and a wife in ministry together. And one of the things that I personally have noticed is that when we have a message that is taught by a woman or it's a reel that goes up that's one of us, that speaks one of the women, that the numbers go up higher. And I'll tell you why. is because it's not normal, y'all. It's just not normal. And so it's not normal for a woman to have a platform very much in preaching and teaching. And it's something that is unique to us. And I'll tell you this, that women are hungry to see their place and their voice and to be able to be expressed in who they are and the strength that they have to bring. I know that there are teachers in this room that are women, and we celebrate and we honor women without devaluing and de-whatever, de, de de-whatever, negative of men, because God called us together to have dominion in this earth and to work and live out this thing of expand, expanded kingdom. So, um, so just kind of you guys go on there and watch and pay attention and just kind of see what's going on. We'd love to hear your comments. If you are a guest with us this morning, please go to dothancf.com. Do the connection card. We'd love to get in touch with you, connect with you. What does it look like going into the new year with us? What is the vision that's coming? You know, I love the scripture that says, without a vision, people perish. We have a vision for 2024. We have vision for where our future is together. I have in my heart vision for the kids in this church to have a legacy of grace and empower and encounters of the Holy Spirit. And it's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was the God of generations. And we are living in a generational covenant today because of what he started thousands of years ago. You are someone who is living in that benefit. So um, the preaching of the gospel, the discipling, the mentoring, the next generation, the Gen Z. I love the Gen Z. People have problems with them. But can I tell you, they're marked by God for this generation. They are marked by God to bring his, his, um, his revelation of who he is to them. And so um, we're going to be intentional about that in this year. So um, we love you guys. Um, if you've not done a testimony from last year, fill out a card on the board. What are you trusting the Lord for in 2024? If you want to hear it encapsulated, I did it last week. And um, just a prayer for us of what this house is believing and trusting for. So you can add yours to it today. If you've been on holiday and vacation, we'd love to put yours up there with ours. So um, membership, we started that this morning for... Um, being a part of DCF, what does it look like to be a member of DCF? And um, it looks like something, you guys. And so um, it's who we are, what we believe, how we work, how we work governmentally. Um, we have new people that came in this morning. They're like, yeah, we're in. We want to be members. And so um, if that is you, we've got two more classes that are coming up the next two Sunday mornings at 830. So be a part of that so you can be a member with us. And our grace teams will be launching in um, the, towards the end of this month as well. Grace teams are how you serve in this local body to make the vision grow and expand. We have all kinds of ministries, and your giftings is what allows that to happen and to build. We are called to build together, and so um, that's what we have in store for you. You have strengths 
and we want to utilize them in every way possible. So if you don't know what your gifts are, we have a way to help you out with that too. So we, we have ways of getting you plugged in and connected and serving and loving the body well. Um, we are going to dismiss, well, nope, sorry. We um, have ways to give. Obviously, it's online. You can do that now too while we do transition. You can pull out your phone. You can give online. Uh, one of the things that we did want to mention is if you're paying and you're doing your um, online giving and it's just through the mobile app, um, one of the things that happens is that when you're giving is that if you're using just on the online, it's charging fees. If you don't pay the fee, the church pays for it. It can be hundreds to thousands of dollars a year. And so what we wanted to just let you know is in order for that to benefit the church rather than just going to the bank, you can do an auto draft from your bank and there is no cost, okay? And so then you benefit, you're not paying the fee if you are, and the church benefits because then they're getting what you would have been paying in the fee. So we bless you guys um, in your generosity for this upcoming year, and we're going to dismiss our kids and our youth to their classes, and they're going to have a great time this morning. And Dave's going to be kicking us off for this year with his message of abundance. So, all right. Good morning, everybody. If you will, go ahead and open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes. If you don't know where that is, welcome to the club. Um, some of those books are about 12 pages long in the Old Testament. And so, I don't know if you know this, but your Bible actually has a table of contents, just like other books. It's a friendly, kind thing that the Holy Spirit made sure we did so we could find things quickly when we're in our services, right? So Ecclesiastes, we're going to jump off in chapter 1 in just a second. But I want to start this morning with um, a website called humanprogress.org. Um, I very, very rarely promote uh, anything on the internet because, you know, the internet is um, dangerous. <laughs> but it's dangerous in a good way if you use it correctly, right? It's just a tool. Someone said one time, you know, the, the internet is just a, a highway for porn. And I'm like, no, it's just a highway. You can drive on it wherever, whatever you want, right? So, um, but progress, humanprogress.org is not actually a Christian site, which makes it even more interesting that I would promote it. But one of the reasons why I promote this website, the tagline, one of their taglines is a necessary balance to the torrent of negativity, <laughs> so what, what humanprogress.org tries to do is they try to balance out all the negative news and everything that's going on with some positive things that have been happening over history and they're happening today. Actually, they've got a, one of their articles on there right now is like a thousand tidbits of positive information and you can go check that out. And it's like tons of articles and videos. I mean, it's just really, really fun site. Uh, but they, they track things, uh, especially over time. And it's a, it's a data-driven site. It's a really fascinating site. Uh, they've been on all, all the news agencies, but again, not everybody likes them because, again, they're mostly positive. <laughs> so not, most news, news companies don't like them very much. But they, they put out some information and just a couple of things that have been happening um, in, in what they call their trends. One of them is the trend about poverty, and it's this. Only 200 years ago, more than 80% of the world lived in extreme poverty. So 200 years ago, 80% of the world, the whole world, was in extreme poverty. Today, it's under 9%. And they, they expect by 2030 to drop to 6%. And then uh, the UN has a, a plan to try to drop uh, you know, poverty uh, even further than that. And so there's a lot of reasons why, and you can follow that trend. Another one's a trend in agriculture. As late as 1900, 41% of Americans worked on farms. 
So um, I'm wearing a jacket. This is a vintage jacket, and by that means it's just old. It was my, it was Karen's dad's jacket. He had it when he was a teenager, I think, in, in the 50s. Um, but he worked on a farm in Illinois um, before he went into uh, went into uh, uh, the military. He worked on a farm, and he tells stories about getting up at god-awful 30 in the morning and having to milk the cows. And if you've ever been on a farm or worked a farm, my, my grandpa had a farm, and they had cows and all that. And I went there one time, and I was like, farm life is not for me. It was the 80s. <laughs> I'm like, I think I want to play video games. I don't think I want to do this again. And so as late as 1900, 41% of Americans were, were getting up early, going to bed late, and they were working really, really hard on farms. Today, fewer than 2%, 2%. Work on farms. Fascinating how much that's changed in just just since uh, 1900, and that's a big plus. I mean, again, if you've ever worked on a farm, you know how hard it is, and a lot of that has been, uh, you know, there's uh, 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 machines and there's technology. I just read an article on this website actually that they're moving uh, to flying tractors. I don't know if you've heard about this, but it's basically these really large. Um, uh, containers of chemicals where they used to come in with airplanes and drop it and it would go all over the place. They hover over the crops by about 10 feet and it drop it right where it needs to go. It's just fascinating. They're doing it with AI. It's really interesting. Another one is climate. Um, that's a big topic nowadays. Um, so they just said this, the chance of a person dying in a natural catastrophe, earthquake, flood, drought, storm, wildfire, landslide, or epidemic has declined by nearly 99% since the 1920s. So think about that. You, almost, you had like almost a 100% chance of dying in one of those in the night, before the 1920s. Like that was, that was going to be your lot in life. Something was going to get you. And nowadays, because of technology, so many amazing things. We lived in Destin for a long time. And uh, we would find out about the hurricanes and the hurricanes, we would know about them, you know, at least a week in advance. They would be off the coast of Af Africa, come in our direction. So that was, you know, they would fly, they would know almost to the, you know, almost to the minute when it was going to make landfall. Sometimes they got it a little bit off. But the, the prediction, the patterns kept us from dying numerous times. We lived down there and we went through several hurricanes and we would just bug out and come up here to Dothan, stay with Karen's mom and dad, uh, Karen's dad, or we would go up to Birmingham and stay with her mom or my brother. So uh, a lot of, a lot of interesting changes that have come. And, and so good changes. This is what you don't hear about very often is there's some really amazing things. We are actually living the good life compared to what people lived 100 to 200 years ago. But there's some other statistics as well, some alarming statistics. This one's, these are from the Social Security Administration. Um, if you, and they said if you select 100 people at the beginning of their working life and observe them over 40 years, here are the statistics how this breaks down. Only one will have become wealthy. Four will be financially stable. Five will need to continue working. 36 will have died. And 54 will lean on friends and family for financial support on a regular basis. So here's the thing. Assuming that none of those people planned to just get by when they started their working life, that means that 95% of people are not living the life they thought they were going to live. Right? Financially in trouble. I mean, it's just the challenge. And so here's currently the average American um, wallows in $10,000 debt. That's the average American. That means some are way, way higher than that. Some are a little bit less. Um, the average American is overweight. The average American doesn't like their job, has fewer than one person to call a close friend. Now think of that in the, in the age of social media when um, you're, you're supposed to have thousands of friends, right? But only one they could actually call a real close friend. And uh, 
Um, also, average American is mildly depressed. Some of them worse than mildly depressed, extremely depressed. So welcome to life, right? That's kind of what I'm getting at this morning. There's ups and there's downs. There's, um, there's things that are good and there's things that are bad. So as we kind of get into this series, this series called Abundant Life, I want to introduce some concepts to us as we go through the series. One of the things we do at our church is we don't just uh, preach single messages. We do that from time to time. Last week was one of those. But often we teach um, we go into and teach a series, and the reason why we do that is because some of the things that we tackle take a while to, to, to really understand and to get there. So we imagine starting here, and there's this, uh, there's this incline, and then at the top is the culture of. So we, we talk about the culture of grace in our church. So when you first come to DCF, you, you're going to hear some challenging things about grace, like the, you know, that God no longer holds your sin against you. That's going to mess with your religious mindset if you grew up in church. So there's going to be some challenging things we say about grace. But over time, as we preach more and more into this, what happens is you begin to climb that mountain to where that becomes normal. You have a culture which is just a group of shared values about grace. So some of the concepts that we're going to talk about in this series about abundant life is uh, we're going to talk about the wisdom books, the wisdom literature of the Bible. There's three of them. Ecclesiastes that we're going to start in just a minute is one of those wisdom books. Proverbs is another. Does anybody know the, the third? Job. I thought it was Psalms, right? I, I, most people say, yeah, it's Psalms, but it's actually Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, and Job. So we're going to get into those. We're going to talk about uh, today, we're going to talk some, about something called the myth of religious fulfillment that many of us have been subject to most of our lives. We're going to talk about kingdom capital, how God puts investment, the ability to invest in people's lives and to be invested in. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about biblical stewardship. What is stewardship? A lot of people think they know, but oftentimes they don't. And we're going to talk about how that translates from from an Old Testament, Old Kingdom, or, or a Old Covenant version into the New Covenant version, what does stewardship look like in the New Testament versus the Old Testament? Is it the same or is it something different? So we're going to get into that as well. So I want to start with Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1. So we're going to jump off of here. And uh, this is, uh, again, it's a wisdom literature. So most people think um, that Solomon wrote this. There's some challenges and some questions around that that make sense when you look into it. But even, even, if it, it, even if it isn't Solomon who wrote it, it's still, it's still part of the canon, and so we can trust it. So here's how it starts out. It says, the words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. And then it says, meaningless, meaningless. And so I put this word up there. Um, the, the Hebrew word is hevel. It's H-E-B-E-L, but the B is pronounced the V. So it's hevel. So we're going to get into this root word, and this root word is really interesting. It goes throughout the entire book of Ecclesiastes. It occurs 40 times, almost 40 times in the book alone. So it's a pretty important word. It's translated, like in this is the NIV, translated meaningless. Some of your books, some of your Bibles, translations would have what? Anybody want to? Vanity is a big one. New King James, King James, some others. Anything else? Futile is another, another one that comes out. But it goes on, it says, meaningless, meaningless, hevel, hevel, says the teacher, utterly hevel, everything is hevel. <laughs> so it, he starts out with, if you don't understand hevel, you are not going to get anything that this book talks about, right? So it's really helpful to understand that word, and it's another reason why when you study the Bible, the Bible says to study to show yourself to prove a workman that doesn't need to be ashamed. That doesn't mean you're studying so you get God to love you, right? That's not how that works if you've been around DCF long enough, you know it's about grace and grace alone. So then why do you study? You study to, to get the approval, not to get the approval of God, but to show that you have it, 
right? And that means you're learning and you're growing and you're understanding in the Word of God. So it's a really good idea when you're studying Scripture, take different translations and look into the original language because most language, especially translation-wise, is nuanced. And that's what you're going to see here. And it's going to matter as we build into this, you're going to understand this. But the meaning, again, it meaningless, vanity. Um, it's, it's the Hebrew word for futile. You see it used that way. Uh, but it actually literally means vapor or smoke. So, so let, let me read that again, and now we'll put in smoke, okay? The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem, smoke, smoke, says the teacher, utterly smoke, everything is smoke. <laughs> so there's a reason why they didn't use it that way, because that doesn't make any sense to our modern sensibilities, right? But as we understand the concept, it's, it's a visual picture, and often the Bible does this, is tries to paint a visual picture of something he's trying to communicate about God. So he goes after this. Again, it can mean vain. It can also mean transitory. It can mean, um, it, it can mean that something is fleeting, and it's passing quickly. So, so uh, you know, fleeting, fleeting, everything is fleeting. It, it can mean uh, an enigma, 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 everything is an enigma. All right, so he goes through this whole thing again. It's used 38 times as different kinds of nuanced meetings, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's that it's meaningless. That's why this is such a challenging word to translate because you lose some meaning when you translate it into meaningless. Because this whole passage, you go through all of these all of these uh, these chapters of Ecclesiastes, and what is and the picture is you have a narrator saying, "Here's what the teacher." And he goes on and talks about who he is. He's a king of Jerusalem. Um, he, he's got wisdom. And again, this is why most people believe it was Solomon. So it goes through and it says, I've gained this wisdom. So there's a narrator that starts it out and says, here's what the teacher says. And then the teacher talks for 11 chapters, almost uh, 11, almost 12 chapters. And at the very end, I don't have it up here, but the very end of this passage, um, he says, um, here's what all of this means. He, he goes through this whole thing. He says, this is what the teacher says. The teacher's great. Wisdom's all, this wisdom, he's learned some things. He's rec recognized some things. But here's the end of the matter. In other words, you can encapsulate it all into this. Fear the Lord and obey his commandments. So he wraps it up. That's the Old Testament version of, you know, being right with God and, and being full of God and being released as the inheritance of God into the earth. So here's the next couple of, couple of verses in Ecclesiastes 1. So look at verse 3. It says, what do people gain? Remember, this is the teacher telling you the things he's seen. He's been experimenting with life. He's, you go through and read it. He's tried things in life. He's tried all kinds of things. And, uh, and again, we have new technology, but mostly technology is just an extension of our bodies, right? It's, a, it's better vision. It's better hearing. It's better senses. It's all those things. But it doesn't change who we are and who we are in the heart. So, uh, chapter 1, verse 3, what do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? So here's the next root word in this book of, uh, of Ecclesiastes. And it's really, really important because this one occurs 30 times. So hevel, smoke, vapor, almost 40 times comes out and he, and he goes after it in all these nuanced ways of what this is, what life is. Life is this. It's, it's hevel. And then he goes and he says, but this is hevel under the sun. And so that's going to get really, really important because when you read wisdom literature, you have to be careful because all of the Bible is written for us, but not all of the Bible is written to us. So let me say that again. All of the Bible, 
The whole Bible is written for us, but not all of it is written to us. That's why you have to be careful. If you're not careful, you'll get caught up in legalism because you'll read the Old Testament and the laws, and you'll read all the way up in Matthew chapter 5, and you see the Sermon on the Mount, and what you don't realize is when you're reading the Sermon on the Mount, it's Jesus speaking, but he is speaking to people who are under the law. And if you are a new covenant believer, if you're a Christian right now, you are no longer under the law. Why? Because Jesus fulfilled it. There's nothing wrong with the law. The law is perfect. It does what it does. But if you don't understand that all of the Bible is written for you, but not all of it is written to you, you will read Jesus' statements to people under the law, and you will think that he's talking to you. And he's not. <laughs> and this is very, very important, and context matters in a huge way. So he goes on. He says, which they toil under the sun. That phrase is going to come up over and over again. Generations come, generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. <laughs> like, I remember studying this in eighth grade science. Why the sea is never full. But this guy noticed it. I never even noticed it until they brought it up in eighth grade science class, right? Maybe you didn't either. But he noticed all these rivers flow into the sea and the sea never gets full. Where does the water go? It's in a cycle, right? And so we learn about that. He goes on, he says, to the place the streams come from, there they return again. So he knew scientific understanding about the earth. He was a very wise man. He goes on, all things are wearisome. And if you've lived a little while, you know that's true. If you're 16... 10 feet tall and bulletproof, you don't know that, <laughs> right? And all of us have been there or we're going to get there. But if you've lived a little while, you know that life can become wearisome. I was trying to think this, this morning when I was brushing my teeth, how many times I have brushed my teeth in my lifetime and it just got heavy. And I was like, I, I don't want to think about that because I also don't want to think how many few times I have left to brush my teeth before it's all done, right? This is heaven. This is life. Under the sun. So he goes on. All things are wearisome. More than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has, been, what has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. There's that phrase again. There is nothing new under the sun. Except now we can do it with an iPhone. Whereas before we could. Now I can call people while I'm driving down the road where used to in the 80s when that first started kicking in is like $100 a minute, right? And I was a salesman. I'm like, it's worth it. Also because I can look cool with my bag phone. You know, you just carry around like, it was like a shoulder strap. No, you guys don't. Anyway, it was, it, was, it was part of my life. Under the sun occurs 30 times and it literally just means here on earth. Obviously, right? It's under the sun. The sun's coming up and going down. The sun's coming up and going down. Under the sun, temporal, temporary. So here's the thing. These root words help paint a picture. Go back and read it now with those two root words in mind. And it will paint a picture of life here on earth under the sun. And life is hevel under the sun. That's kind of what he's going after. So I've got a, a graphic up here. 
Uh, sorry, let me read this verse. This is Psalm 90. This is kind of a picture of our human life, right? Uh, um, Psalm 90 says, Our days may come to 70 years or 80, which is really interesting because in uh, uh, humanprogress.org, it talks about years ago, um, early part of the century, the lifespan was about 45 years, and now it's into the 70s and 80s. What's really interesting, it used to be in the 70s and 80s, actually in the book of Acts, sorry, the, uh, the book of Genesis, uh, people were living 900 years. And we're like, you can't do that. Oh, yeah, 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 you can. You to- I totally, it's totally easy to believe, knowing everything I know about science and knowing that they didn't have uh, M- uh, MSG and didn't have all that stuff back in Genesis, that's how you could live to be 900 years, right? There's nothing messing with you, right? No additives. So 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, right? This is a, an average lifespan. Yet the best of them, listen to Psalms, the best of them are but trouble and sorrow. Aren't you glad you came to service this morning so I could talk to you about how enjoyable life is, right? Trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. It's like, man, this guy's been reading Ecclesiastes. Well, he couldn't because he wrote it before. Anyway, that's another thing. Verse 11, if only we knew the power of your anger, God. That's an interesting concept. He says, your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Man, if that's not a power statement, I don't know what is. And then verse 12 captures all this. He says, so because of all this, my life is short. It's here, it's heaven, it's a vapor, it's smoke. It's here in a second, and then it's gone again. He says, um, teach us, because of that, teach us, Lord, to number our days, right? To be honest, to not stick our head in the sand and act like we're never going to die, right? I, I, I looked up the math and the statistics. 10 out of 10 of you guys are going to die. I, I know that surprises some of you. You're like, not me, man. I'm 10 foot tall and bulletproof. But you will, right? And so, so he goes after this. Teach us to number our days, to think about how we're spending our time. What are we giving it to, right? Is it just the rotation of day after? Is it Groundhog Day all over again? Is that what life is? And to the world, it is. That's exactly what it is, right? To those under the sun... That's exactly what it is. Number our days. Why? So that we can gain a heart of wisdom. So I want to show you, this is a, just a graphic of the human lifespan, right? It's, it's, it starts and it finishes. And again, this is average. So some people won't live that long. Some people live a little bit longer, but it averages out to about 70, 80 years right now, even with worldwide statistics, right? So the challenge is, is when we get this, if we're not careful, because this is the world, the world looks at this and says, don't know where that happened before that line starts, Right? I have no idea, don't know where I came from, not really sure what I'm doing here on the line, and I definitely have no idea about what's going to happen next. And so people say, you know, what do you believe? And they'll say, yeah, I just believe that we're going to cease to exist. I'm like, are you serious? Like, I know you're lying because I used to be this guy, right? And I thought about death, and I thought, and I would go to funerals, and it never made any sense. (laughs) It was heaven. It's like this makes no, it's an enigma. This makes no sense. Because you're, 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 taught, you're looking at somebody whose who's lifeless house is there, but they don't live in their house anymore. And you know that. Instinctively, you know that. And you're like, I know they're supposed to be there, but they're not. So whoever they are isn't in the house anymore. So what is that all about? And this is, again, this is, this is Hebel. This is the life under the sun. So I want to I want to jump and, and switch gears into something called the myth of religious fulfillment. And again, I'm building to something, so stay with me. So th- this myth of religious fulfillment is something you see in all religions, including Christianity, right? And the and the and the idea is if I serve and do whatever's necessary in this religion, 
good things will come. If I sacrifice, you know, certain things, probably people, right? Virgins, apparently, that seemed to be popular. We'll sacrifice a virgin. We'll have a really good crop. Awesome for you and the crop, not so awesome for the virgin, right? So that works. So, but the mindset is, if I do whatever religion says I should do, good things will happen. If I do good things, I get good things. If I do bad things, I get bad things. Now, here's the thing. In Proverbs, it talks about that in a big way, right? Because Proverbs is one of the literature books. Proverbs is not nearly as depressing as Ecclesiastes and Job. But Ecclesiastes and Job aren't depressing if you understand what the wisdom literature is about and what it's for, right? And again, remembering that all of Scripture is written for you, but not necessarily to you. So there was a famous politician who captured it best in the documentary Napoleon Dynamite. He said, if you vote for me, all your wildest dreams will come true. <laughs> so <laughs> this is a high school election <laughs> for president, right? And he didn't have, really just didn't have a tagline, didn't have an idea of what he was going to do, what he was all about. So he just kind of said, if you, if you come with me, it'll all work out. This is a picture of the myth of religious fulfillment. If you just accept Christ, you're not going to have any problems. You're not going to have any issues. Your marriage is going to work fine. You're never going to be tempted. You're never going to be hungry. You're never going to, no bad things are ever going to come against you, right? It's not, it's just not going to happen. And then you read Ecclesiastes and the, the teacher said, hevel. <laughs> what the hevel is what he's saying throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, right? He's like, I know this is, so he, he, he looks at Proverbs and goes, yeah, yeah, this is wisdom and this is true. Generally speaking, if you do good, good things happen. But he goes on and he reads, I won't read all this, but in Ecclesiastes, he says, I've seen, I've seen wicked people live a long life, and I've seen righteous people live a short one. He, he goes through and he just goes after this over and over and over and over again. If you read this and you don't understand the myth of religious fulfillment, that this is something the enemy's trying to put on you, that in this world you're not going to have any problems. Well, first of all, that's not true. And one way we know that is Jesus and various other apostles and others wrote, wrote about this. This is Matthew 5, who, and where Jesus push, pushes back on it. He says he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. So this under the sun happens whether you're evil or whether you're good, right? He says he sends rain on the just and the unjust. So he's not sending rain because you deserve rain. He's sending rain because he's good, <laughs> you get good, not because you're good, but because he's good. And now you begin to understand something of the gospel, right? Something of grace. And so he's building. Peter says it this way, For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls. Welcome to life, <laughs> right? He's saying in other places, it says this is, life is a vapor. It's heaven. It comes and it goes it seems to have substance, and you reach for it, and then it seems to dissipate. Happiness is like that. You, you, you feel like, oh, I've I got a great job, or I bought this new car, and the new smell is so awesome, and then hevel happens in your new car, and it's like, where, where did the smell go? The smell went away, and the payment came in its place, right? That's, that's hevel, right? So we kind of get it, right? So here's the thing, though. The Bible speaks to this whole picture about wisdom, and, and it speaks in a bigger, broader picture where we see that we live in a fallen world. So what does it mean to live in a fallen world? It means spiritually and morally degraded. In other words, something happened that caused everything to begin a decline. We know that. There's no reason why we should age and die physically. 
It just doesn't make sense. There's something our cells replicate on a regular basis, but there's some demoralization. There's some degradation that happens every time that occurs. It's minute, but it's enough to move us downfield because when sin came in, the Bible says, everything began to die. If you're a Christian and you sin, you won't die uh, eternally, right? Because we recognize that Jesus has taken our sin. He's taken the wrath of, of God on himself. We get that. Does that mean it's okay to sin? No, because sin, the Bible says, brings death. Ultimately, spiritual death, right? If we don't let Jesus pay for our sins. But even in the natural, if you sin against your, your uh, friend or sin against your spouse, your relationship will die. If you miss the mark, in other words, God had a good intention for how relationships would work. And if you miss that, this is his idea of relationships. And if you get off of that, that relationship will eventually die. Will it die tomorrow? Depends on how big your sin is, <laughs> right? Most of the time, no, it takes a while. Will, will your finances die? Will your sense of, of, of enjoyment in life, will your sense of joy die? Yes, if you keep missing the mark long enough, the consequences of sin, even in this good world, begin to catch up with you. This is hell, right? So Genesis 6, 5, the Lord saw that wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continuously. We went from friendship with God to estrangement and ultimately enmity with him. From a reflection of his likeness, in other words, we were image bearers that looked like him into shattered, distorted images, suffering the results of our own brokenness and brokenness against us. From the beauty, the tranquility, and the vitality of godly family into the brokenness of sexual identity, identity confusion, domestic strife, and aimlessness. We struggle against sin daily, even as believers. There's a tempter, there's an accuser of the brothers. Brothers, the Bible says, we experience heartache and pain. We witness natural disasters, staggering loss, injustice, inhumanity, and falsehood seem to hold sway in the world that we live in. This is heaven. None of this was God's original plan. We know that, right? We fell from our original position in the Garden of Eden. And the Bible says that even now, creation groans under the weight of humanity's sin. Romans 8, we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Something's coming, but it's not there yet, right? But the good news is that God does not intend his world to groan forever. And the good news also is you and I as believers get to be a part of that transformation. Through Jesus, God is repairing his creation. He's restoring all things and relationships and all those things. He's restoring friendship with God through Christ, giving us eternal life. He's restoring his design for the family through Jesus. He's restoring man's proper dominion in caring for God's good world. Listen to this, Romans 8, 19, just a little bit Further down from the groaning, it says, For the creation waits with eager longing or eager anticipation. For what? For the revealing of the sons of God. Why? Because something happened in the garden that broke everything. Adam gives up dominion over the earth because he chooses the short term for the long term. He chooses to, to want to know good and evil and to be his own God rather than walk in the cool of the day and obey the one, the, the amazing God that created everything in the garden for his good and told him only one thing you can't do. Just one. He's like, it's just the one thing. 
he managed to find it. Yet, do not ever tell a kid, don't throw a rock at the windows in that house next door that is empty. You know why? Because they'll go to sleep that night and all they can think about is throwing a rock through the I I shot out the windows of a, of a vacant house near our home when I was a kid and got in tremendous trouble. But part of the reason why is they told me I shouldn't. Like they gave me a BB gun and said, whatever you do, don't shoot out those windows over there. I was like, oh man, that became my only thought for it until I did it, right? This is what happens and this is what the law did. And the law showed us, the whole point of this is showing you that even if you had a billion things that were good and you could partake of and only one thing to do wrong, guess what you would do? That was Adam and Eve. Really, that was Eve's fault. It wasn't my fault as a man, you know. I was, it's the woman you gave me, Lord. That's literally what Adam said, by the way. So that hasn't changed much, right? <laughs> but you look at this and go, that some of this doesn't make sense. Because, you know, if I become a believer and I and I'm become a Christian, then I'm not going to suffer from sickness. And I'm not going to have these issues of relationship. I'm not going to have strife. And there's not going to be problems in the world. And Jesus said, are you kidding me? Are you, do you think that? that you're not going to have problems in the world. He literally says it's the opposite of that, but there's some good news. I came to restore it all, right? So John 10, 10, there's this beautiful contrast. Jesus now has shown up. There's any prophecies. We talked about this during the, our, our Christmas season. These prophecies, these promises of a Savior coming. Why? Because the earth is heaven. Everything's broken. It's busted. Everything's wrong. Even people trying to do the right thing somehow always don't end up, you know, getting the good things that they're supposed to be doing. Because truthfully, were they really always doing the right thing? And the answer is no, they weren't. So John 10, 10, simple phrase. We've all heard this. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I always love it when people say, they say that something's happening in their life and God's doing it. You know, God's just brought this sickness on me to teach me something. Has he really? Because <laughs> right? this, this could be put out as, as a, a job description, if you will. So here's the job description of the devil. Steal, kill, and destroy. So if something's being stolen, something's being murdered, something's being destroyed, if that's happening in your life, that ultimately is the enemy trying to bring hevel to your world. Right? It's trying to, he's trying to keep you under the sun rather than under the sun. Right? Yeah, I did that word thing. I'm good at that. That's, I'm, I'm a communicator. <laughs> so here's these two kingdoms at work in the earth. The thief is stealing, killing, destroying. But look at what Jesus said he did. I came that we could have life, but not just life, but life abundantly. In other words, not just what you expect, not just what you hope for, but way more than you can hope or imagine for. So here's the truth, though. Those only operate in this good world because of who you choose to align with. Because those two persons, if you will, are the authority of this world. Now, sometimes we think about it and religion tells us there's good, there's bad, there's yin, there's yang, right? There's, there's, there's a, the, you, you got a, a, a bad dog and a good dog. And the one you feed the most is the one that wins. And they paint this picture of this tension and this balance in life, chaos and good. And, and, and what you see in scripture is that's not at all what it is. It's literally, this is the creator. Everything else is the created. But somewhere along this, there was a creation that's a little higher than you and I. He's, he's in the spiritual realm. That's where he was. He's been there. He was there with God in the beginning. And at some point, evil, the Bible says, entered in his heart. And he wanted to sit his throne above heaven. Right? And because of that, something broke. 
And the Bible says they were cast out of heaven. And so all of this was part of, it, it, was, it was part of God's plan. And that's hard to understand because even the brokenness of the world, it wasn't that God was intending to do that. It was, it was going to happen and he was going to provide a savior. He was going to re- re- provide um, relief. He was, gonna, he was going to change that and, and, and fix it. That's what he was trying to do. But these two authorities, the Bible says that he's the prince, that the enemy is the prince of the power of the air. What does that mean? He is under the sun. This is the place where he has authority. There's coming a day when all of his authority would be taken away. The truth is that when Jesus went to the cross, all of his authority was destroyed. He took the keys away from him. He doesn't have any authority anymore. So how does heaven work now in our lives? And the answer is through alignment. So God's good world is broken. Why? Because people have aligned themselves with a thief. Who, who works against the one who wants to bring life and abundance and good, right? And so we align ourselves because we want what we want, and it's in alignment with the thief. And so if we're not careful, we, even as believers, we find ourselves aligning. We're like, why is my family having trouble? Why is this happening? Now, don't get me wrong. The enemy is still going to come and try to take things. But if you don't take a stand, if you don't become Jesus in the earth to yourself and to your family and to the people around you, guess what's going to happen? Hevel is going to come because it's a broken, fallen world, and the enemy still has power here over those who are aligned with him. So are those people the enemy? And the answer is some of them are. Some of them have aligned themselves so much so that I'm not, outside of a miracle of God, they're not turning around, right? But there's good news even for those because that was who Paul was. I was this chief of sinners, he said. I was the most aligned with the thief. And he came and he, he rescued me, knocked me off my donkey on the road and said, hey, I have a problem with you. I'd like to talk to you about it. The God of the universe came and knocked him off his donkey. Sometimes that's what it takes, right? But people who continue to align themselves, even Christians who continue to align themselves, believing that they have, they have reason to fear, believing that God's not gonna provide, believing that God doesn't heal nowadays, and the list can go on and on and on and on. And we find ourselves aligning with God so much so that Jesus is coming and he's demonstrating what it looks like for heaven to invade earth, right? He's showing his disciples this, walks into a room where a person has died, where heaven has taken its full form and it's destroyed. The thief has stolen completely his life, this person's life. And Jesus, before he prays for them, kicks people out of the room. Why? Because they were such unbelief that they had aligned themselves so much with the thief that the thief was present even there stealing faith. Peter did the same thing. Kicks these people out of the room. Why? Because sometimes that's, there's too much alignment even with believers. And that's the challenge to you and I. We're not supposed to be aligning with the thief. We're supposed to be aligning with the life, right? And that's this picture that God's painting. So something happens when Jesus shows up. Walking in the cool of the day with God was ruined in a garden by the sin and disobedience of the first Adam. And the New Testament says, walking in the cool of the day with God was restored in a garden by the obedience of the second Adam. So Jesus comes and when he shows up, he wants to restore the king's domain. Where people have been aligned with the thief, he wants to take that away from He wants to take the alignment away and show them his good life, his good world, his good desires, his good intentions towards us. And he wants to release us so that we are now partnering with him. We're in alignment with him doing something. And this is what it looks like. This is Mark 1, 14, where Jesus shows up on the scene. And he says, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee 
proclaiming, announcing the good news of God. Verse 15, the time has come, he said. The moment has arrived. And this is what he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Now repent and believe the good news. Think a different, this repent doesn't mean classic traditional church where you come and cry a puddle of tears and get up and you, there was no change. That's not repentance. Repentance, the root word is metanoia. It's the same root word for metamorphosis. It means transform, turn from something here to something different, right? So look at it again. Repent, take on a new mind, think differently, align with God instead of the thief. And then what happens? He says, and then you have to believe something. You have to believe the good news of what Jesus is doing, what he's done, what he came to do, what he's done, and what he wants to do in you. It's beautiful. But what does that mean? As believers, and I tried to write it in as as concise a way as I could, and this is what I came up with. We live, as believers, we live in a fallen world, but the fallen world no longer lives in us. So what does that mean? Right? Another way to put it scripturally, it says, uh, talking about alignment, it says that we can be in the world, but not of the world. What is he saying? He's saying you are in the midst of hell. As a believer, you're going to live and there's going to be brokenness. The enemy's going to come against you. He tried to kill me in Denver, Colorado, when we're, we're studying um, to become more missional church. We're out, we're pouring our lives out. We're spending money. We're doing all this. We're, uh, we're spending uh, two years in this process. In the last meeting we're in in Denver, Colorado, I get pancreatitis. I'm in the hospital eventually for almost 30 days, eight days in the ICU. And the enemy comes as soon as, I mean, I'm on drugs. I'm hurting so bad. I can't think. I'm in and out of consciousness. My wife is there in, in, the, in the ICU in Denver, and, and I, hear the, I hear this voice in my head who's trying to steal and kill and destroy, and he says, you're going to die, and you're going to leave her alone. It's not enough to just kill me. He has to shame me as he kills me, and if that's not a thief, I don't know what is, but even in my drug haze, my pain drug haze, I'm like, that. I don't think that's right. <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty sure I've read something that pushes back against that. And what was so amazing is my wife hears the voice of God. She comes over to me. She, she was literally sleeping. She wakes up. She comes over to me. She puts her hands on me, and she starts praying. And she says, you will live and not die. And she started prophesying to me when I couldn't prophesy to myself. She was aligning me when I couldn't align me. Right? This is what's amazing that I, even when I couldn't push back against Hevel, my wife pushed back against Hevel for me. And you and I as believers, this is what community looks like. This is what serving looks like. This is what ministry looks like is us pushing back Hevel, pushing back the thief in every situation, especially in our own lives, first of all. But the Bible says at some point we have been reconciled. We have been aligned, right? Maybe not 100%, but we're mostly there. We're mature in some ways, right? So at some point, when do we realize that the alignment is not just so you could receive the abundant life, but that the abundant life could come into you and then flow out of you into those who are around you? You you weren't called to live life just under the sun. And you weren't called to go into eternity alone. You were called to take somebody with you. And it's powerful. And as we learn this, we realize we live in the fallen world. It's all around us. It's broken. But I'm not broken anymore because Jesus has come and rescued me. So Jesus walked 
with his disciples, and he discipled in two ways. And this goes after what we're trying to do as a local church, in us and through us. Jesus discipled them. He showed us how to do this. He said, I'll build the church, but you go make disciples. So let me ask you a question. And, and I want you to take this seriously. When, this is not rhetor- I mean, you don't have to answer me out loud, but I'm just saying it's not rhetorical. I really want you to think about this. Who are your disciples? And if you say, well, they're all Jesus' disciples, then don't talk to Paul because Paul said to all his disciples, follow me. And then he added this little tiny statement that turned out to be really important, as I follow Jesus, <laughs> right? So yeah, every disciple is supposed to be Jesus' disciple, but his point was, I want to co-labor with you, and I want you to invade hevel. I want, I want life to invade where the thief is trying to steal it. I want health to invite, invade where the enemy is trying to bring sickness. I want peace where he's trying to bring fear and discord. I want you to invade. You are supposed to be active as believers. And so often we've been caught up in, I'm so caught up in heaven myself because the myth of of this delusion of somehow uh, because I became a Christian, nothing bad is ever going to happen to me. That's not true. There is an enemy of your soul, the Bible says, and he's looking, he's walking about, the Bible says, looking who, for who he can destroy. And if he thinks you can, I mean, if he thinks he can do that in you, he's going to try. And if you think he can do that in you, he will succeed. Because he's found alignment in you. This is why we study. This is why we pray. This is why we're in community. It's why we serve. It's why we get to know this good God. It's why during worship we have encounters with God. I love the songs. Go back and look at the songs we sang today. It's almost like I called Rodney and said, Hey, Rodney, will you sing every single song to line up with my sermon today? But I didn't do that. I just trust that he can hear from God too, right? And I love that because all of God coming at us going, hey, I want to break through. So let me put a picture up there again. This is the Psalm 90 version of human life, 70 to 80 years. So what does that look like? Um, does it look like we do that and then after that we go to heaven? That's the next slide. See this? We got this 70 years, that tiny little piece. And then heaven is everything else. So one day, and this is, here's how I know this is wrong, and here's how I know it's, we're caught up in it. This is what happens on a regular basis. Um, people, religious people, will try to win people to Jesus and ask them this question. If you were to die right now, where would you go? So they talk about heaven. They talk about a place. And Jesus didn't do that. Jesus said, I want to restore you to a person. Not a place. Heaven's only heaven because your father's there. But it turns out that your father is here too. And that's the point of Jesus invading. So we've invited, we've been invited to be sons, not just stewards. You see this in the prodigal son, the story in Luke chapter 15. I'm not going to read it, but we all know this by now. Uh, there's this, there's this the, the word steward just means a person employed to manage another's property, especially a large house or estate. I, I thought, I don't know why I thought about this. This is going to go over the heads of everybody who's, who's under 40 years old, maybe 50. Uh, but Magnum P.I., you guys remember Magnum P.I.? They made a remake in 2018 that's, I'm not going to say the S word, but it's horrible, right? Don't, don't even watch it. But the old one was amazing because Tom Selleck had the, the, he had the mustache that every man wanted that mustache. I've, I've been trying for 56 years to grow that mustache. I just, one day in heaven, 
We're all going to have Tom Selleck mustaches, right? Not the women, just the men. But, but, but I, I watched this series, and it starts out, he's a, he's a retired or, or, or a, a former Navy SEAL, and, and he's living now as a private investigator in Hawaii, and he's on this estate. Somehow he's connected with this guy, Robin, who owns this like 400-acre estate, and he gets to drive Robin's Lamborghini, and he gets to live in Robin's house, and he gets to enjoy everything about the estate. Why? In some sense, he's kind of like a steward of it. Although there's another guy, that Higgins, who is also, uh, he's actually the actual steward, but most people think he was actually Robin the whole time, right? And so it's just, but it's all about, you get to drive the Lamborghini that doesn't belong to you. You get to live in the house that doesn't belong to you. But one day, if Robin has a son, Poor Tom Selleck is going to be out, right? Because that is never going to belong to him. Why? Because he's not a son. He's a servant. And Jesus went to great lengths through these stories and these parables and so many things that he taught about becoming a son and what that meant. And this prodigal son story is a son who forgot and he goes away and he, and he wastes his inheritance the Bible says he comes to himself, he comes into his might, right mind, he remembers he's a son, but he knows how bad he's been, so he's, he's under the myth of religious fulfillment. So he comes back to the father and he says, oh, father, I've sinned against you, and oh, it's so horrible, and I don't deserve to be a son. And, and the father's like, I don't care what you think. What you think is what got you in the problem in the first place. So now when you come back, I'm going to put a ring on your finger, put a robe on your back, shoes. I am restoring you to what has always been yours. You've been wasting it in foolishness, in hevel. You've been in hevel the whole time, right? And you finally realize it and you come back home. And now you're receiving all the good things. And the Bible says he throws him a party. If there's a good, good news story, this is it. When you are a sinner and you come home to Jesus, it, God is not going to beat you up and make you cry and you got to run through all the hoops and you got to do all the things and you got to pay your due, man. No, God said, I paid it all already. And he says, I'm going to give you back your inheritance. And the guy thought, I thought I spent my inheritance. And then he makes the comment, sort of, in paraphrasing, and he says, you just thought you understood how rich we are. You have no idea. It is literally limitless. And then you see the, the older brother. Here's the party. Religious people don't like parties. I don't know what it is, but they just don't like parties. And if, if there's a possibility that there's dancing, you're all going to hell because dancing leads to premarital sex. Or wait, is it premarital sex leads to dancing? Either way, they're all evil. And, and, God, and religious people hate parties, right? But God loves them. All of Israel, they had parties on a regular basis to celebrate God's good earth and God's good intention toward their life. Older brother, here's the party, comes back. He's mad. And he says, his father comes out to him, which is strange that, they, that you, you don't normally see that. He does. And he, and he says, um, why don't you come in? And the older brother says, this son of yours, not my brother. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not going in there with him. And then he said this, what's interesting. It's just an interesting statement. He said, all this time I've been serving you. I've been working so hard for you. You owe me, God, Father. You owe me. All this time, you never killed the fatted calf for me and my friends. Remember what he said to him? He said, you could have had a party any time you wanted. You don't like parties. <laughs> Maybe that's the problem. The problem is, you don't like the things that I like. So who's going to change? You or the father? 
Here's what's so fascinating about that story. When he tells his story, he started the story because he's ministering to the first group, the first son, prostitutes and all these bad people, right? And he's, he's ministering grace and kindness and goodness. He's, he's, he's bringing abundant life where the thief has been stealing and killing and destroying. He's doing that. It's what he's doing, right? And then, and then the, the Pharisee come, Pharisees come up and interrupt him and are like, how dare you talk to prostitutes, you know, shame on you or whatever. And, and so he's telling that story to them and he realizes what they're thinking. And then the Bible says that he pulls back and he tells a story for them, but primarily he's telling it to the Pharisees. We've always made this story about the prodigal son, the first son. It was never about him. That was just passing. He was telling that part so he could get them, <laughs> right? He's saying to them, here, here are the sons, right? Here's the younger son. And so he was talking to a culture in context. And this is really good because I want, I want you to hear this as I finish this up. He's telling them a story that they would understand implicitly. He said, here's what happens. The younger son's taken in his inheritance. It's kind of weird that he did it before his father died, but that was, that was also common practice sometimes in that day. The father just held the authority until he died, and then the older son got two-thirds of everything. He got, he, got a third, he got the majority of the inheritance. Why? Because he becomes the new patriarch when that happens. And then hear this. He is responsible for his younger brothers. See how this works. So Jesus tells the story and he says, he's basically, he's goading them. He's poking them hard. And he's saying to them, these guys, they just do what younger brothers do sometimes because they don't know. Where, where, were, where was your guidance, right? Where was, your, you call yourself an older brother. And Jesus was painting a contrast ultimately like he did with John 10, 10 about the thief in life. He's painting contrast between what younger brothers do and what older brothers are responsible to do. And so he's saying, I'm the older brother, right? The father, he's telling the story about the father. Everybody knows who the father is. Who's the older brother in the story? And in the story, Jesus is showing them, this is what an older brother does. He comes and he uses his massive inheritance to go rescue his younger brother. And he was, he was, I mean, think about the implications. He's saying, no wonder they hated him and wanted to kill him. You know what Jesus hated more than anything? He didn't hate the Pharisees. He hated the thing the Pharisees were doing, and this is this. They were representing God wrongly. They were pretending that, that everything, they were showing life and abundantly, and they ultimately were in alignment as religious, you know, legalistic people. They were in alignment with stealing, killing and destroying. And, and here's what I want you guys to get out of this. I mean, this is, it, it's so helpful for us to understand this. When you understand, we live in heaven for about 70 or 80 years. You and I, we're born into it. Some place, somewhere along the line, we get born again. And what can happen is not only can life come to us, but then life begins to come through us, or it should. But most people don't even know an unbeliever let alone are praying for them, talking to them about Christ, talking to them about the love of God. Talk, they're, they're so concerned about their sin that they forgot that they're a son. And if we're not careful, what we do is we turn in to a Pharisee and we look so amazing on the outside, but on the inside, we have questions and we're saying things like, God, why are these hangs happening to me? How come things never work out to me? How come you haven't given me what you owe me? Hevel. 
It, it comes to all of it. It's, a shadow, it's like grasping for a vapor. You can see it. it seems, this word hevel was used for idolatry. It was used for the idols of idolatry. And it was saying these idols have substance. You come to them and you're asking these idols to do something for you. And they, have, they seem to have substance. But the moment you reach for it and grasp for it, it goes away. Sin is like that. It'll promise you. Lust will promise you, man, if you'll just do this, your whole world, if you just get enough money, if you just get this person, this right spouse or this right relationship, if you just get it, if you just get the house you always wanted or the car or the job, if you just get this, it's going to make you happy. And it's not. You know why? It's all hevel. You're reaching for it. So the end of the matter talks about the teacher. He says, at the end of it, what is it? The New Testament version is, let God change you. So that having been changed, now you can change others. It's a scripture in Corinthians, and I won't read it again because we say it all the time about the ministry of reconciliation, but I put it this way. Transformed people transform people. So my question to you this morning is, have you been transformed? And Jesus went after it this way. Transformation on the outside is not really transformation. It's all about that inner man. He said it this way, and it's so, so powerful. He said these Pharisees, these legalistic people who have aligned themselves with the enemy, they claim to represent God, but they're, they're actually representing the very opposite of God. And he says, they come at this, and, and, and they say, this is what you ought to do, and this you tithe, and you do all these things. And Jesus said, hey, you don't, it's not that you shouldn't do some of these things that are outward, but he said, but you should also have the greater aspects of the law, justice and, and, and love and mercy and compassion and transformed lives. Like in other words, you should not just be a, a look like a, a, you know, he said you look like a, a cemetery. On the outsides, beautiful flowers and headstones that are, you know, carved with craft. I mean, it's just, they're just beautiful, right? It's majestic. You get into some of those places, just like, oh, it just feels solemn. And it, and it, and it has a semblance of good. But he said, but underneath, inside, in the crypt, in the heart, where you really are, you're full of death and decay. Why? Because somewhere along the line, you aligned yourself with the thief. And you're, you're part of stealing and killing and destroying. And what's so sad is, in doing that to others, you're doing it to yourself. And Jesus comes and he says, man, I want to upset your apple cart. I want to mess with all the religious thinking. All this hevel, I'm going to blow it out of the water. Because he says, you know, sickness comes to everybody. And Jesus says, yeah. And then I come to sickness. Death comes to everybody, right? Oh, it's all under the sun. And Jesus is like, yeah, but I'm coming to death. Jesus prays. He prays for a man who has leprosy, which meant he was eradicated from the community of Israel, and he could never be apart. He had to be isolated and moved out. And the Bible said, if you touch, the law said, if you touch something unclean, you become unclean. Jesus said, I'm so full of life that when life touches non-life, life takes over. This is what you and I are supposed to have, first of all. We've been reconciled. We have to believe it, align ourselves with it, understand grace. Walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus' disciples were both to be and to do. This is the picture he painted, and it comes back to my question to you. Are you living in heaven, <laughs> or are you living with life? Which one have you aligned yourself? Are you just, and here's what it really comes down to. If we're going to reach people for Jesus, we can't be 
like the people that we're trying to reach for Jesus. We have to be something different. And according to Jesus' version of discipleship, it's not just your character, but your competency. So you need to look like Jesus, both in what he was and what he did. When's the last time you prayed for the sick? When's the last time you said, Lord, you know what? I'm going I'm to upset the apple cart here. I'm going to show love and kindness when I've been shown evil, which is exactly what Jesus said too. And can I tell you this? You cannot do that if you don't have the real thing. So my challenge as we go through this series is what is abundant life really? Not some religious idea of it. Some we look the same as the world, but we actually look different. And for some of you guys, it's going to rescue you from heaven and you're going to live above it. Will you be happy all the time? I promise you, you will not. Will you be full of joy? I promise you, you will. God has called us to live outside of heaven, but not some mindset of we're going to want, you know, we're going to, going to heaven and good luck back there. But in the meantime, right here where we are, to live that abundant life so much so, Jesus' ex- experiment is us, with us is that it would begin to overflow to the point that we would take life into every relationship in every scenario that we go into. Your family, your friends, your workplace, your school, your marriage, your kids, whatever it looks like. Would you stand with me? I want to pray for us. Jesus, thank you, Lord, for helping us understand that you're above it all. And Lord, you're inviting us in the Spirit to live that way, to live differently, Lord, to be metamorphosized, Lord, to be transformed, to be changed, to be reconciled, Lord, to no longer align ourselves with the thief, Lord, but to be aligned with the giver of life. So first of all, Lord, I want to receive that from me. Jesus, any hidden thing, Lord, would you point it out? Not to others, Lord, but to me, to my own heart. Lord, and not in condemnation and and discouragement. Lord, that's the thief again coming to steal and kill and destroy. But Lord, to point it out because you're saying this is is death and I want to bring you life. And Lord, then would I just, whatever it takes, would I lay that down? Lord, would I lay down whatever it is that's captured my affection? And Lord, would I let your affection capture me? Would I let your good, good love, your great love, your life and abundance of it, Lord, would I let it capture my heart? Let it tell me who you really are, not who I thought you were, but who you really are. Change me, God, from the inside out. Make me new. Make me brand new, Lord. Even if I've been a Christian for 30 years, change me. Transform me, Lord. And I agree and align myself with the giver of life, no longer with the thief. And I thank you for this new life. In Jesus' name, amen. Karen? Praise God. It's a good way, good message for starting off the new year with. Um, I just want to read this scripture uh, to us. Um, it is one that Dave shared um, as we kind of go into just ministry time uh, with one another. And it's John ten ten, and it's in the Amplified. And it says this. The thief comes only in order to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. There's an overflowing goodness of the Lord for you this morning. Our ministry team took some time and just prayed and waited on the Lord 
We have some words of knowledge that will come up on the screen. If any of those resonate with you, our ministry team will be at the front. We would love to pray for you. Um, if there's anything that you need prayer for, we'll be at the front to pray for you as well. Um, we bless you guys. Have a great week going into the second week of the new year, and we will see y'all back next Sunday. God bless you, and we love y'all.